Leadership support for More Perfect is provided by the Joyce Foundation. The true symbol of the United States is not the bald eagle, it is the pendulum. And when the pendulum swings too far in one direction, it will go back, back. It will go back. Hey, I'm Chad Abumrad. This is More Perfect, a series about the cases that land in front of the Supreme Court. And in this episode, which we might as well call Pendulum Part 2, we're going to take a deep dive into what might be the most horrible Supreme Court decision ever and an attempt, 160 years after the fact, in a Hilton Hotel ballroom to finally set it right. This is a case that split the United States in two. We the so the case in question is the Dred Scott case, which, if you ask people... I was wondering if you've ever heard of uh, the Dred Scott court case? The Dred Scott sounds familiar. Doesn't go well. N- nothing right. coming up? Man, I don't know. My high school history teacher would be really mad at me right now. I don't know. <laughs> I don't remember anything about it. Remember nothing? Yeah, when I mean, you get a lot of people who are like, was that like a civil rights thing? Probably something to do with segregation. Not- you're, you're warm. I'm warm. Or was it Obama? Like the name had some familiarity, yes? Yes. Dred, okay. Dred. What does that mean? Dred Scott. It's a name. I don't know. This is the first time I hear it. United States of America. So what happens a lot of times is that people don't actually understand why they're free. Um, so Dred Scott is one of those fundamental decisions that, is, that lays the groundwork for the reasons why we can live in a multicultural society. This is Ellie Mistal, More Perfect's legal editor. But to really understand the case you've got to go to a place called Fort Snelling. It's a small army base, about 15 minutes north of the Minneapolis airport. Snow freshly laid on the ground. And our producer, Julia Longoria, took a trip there. Right over here. And this guy? I'm Richard Josie, manager of programs here at the Minnesota Historical Society. Gave her a tour. Yep. So what are we walking into now? So what you're getting ready to see right now is uh, the space that we think, you know, is probably where Dredd and Harriet Scott, you know, where they live. Before we go in, can you just sort of set up when in time are we? What's happening? This is the 1830s. We're 30 years out from the Civil War. By the 1830s, about half the states in the Union have slavery, about half don't. So it's this question that's kind of still unanswered. Like, should we be a free nation or should we be a slave nation? So there is a real tension here. Um, And there is a real understanding here that this might not work. And... Just as we're about to reach this breaking point, an army doctor named John Emerson... A white guy. Definitely a white guy, (laughs) slave owner, steps into free territory and arrives here to this army base um, on a hill. And he brings with him his one slave, Dred Scott. Um, And now we're actually inside the fortress, if you will. And... um you know, all of the stone, all of the windows, um, 
it's it's kind of like whenever I come here I have this kind of cold feeling even when it's hot outside he walks us up to the back of this one squat building on the far end of the base Can you describe the the room? I think we're probably looking at a maybe seven and a half foot ceiling. Um, wood grain floor, wood clapboard floor, um, with stone walls. It's a tiny room, a little bigger than a king bed. There's a fireplace, a little table, some redwood cabinets. And so this is a this is a this is a home. This is a kitchen. This is a laundry place. This is you know your one stop shop. And the reason this room is so important is because Dred Scott, living in this room, for the first time in his life, he got a taste of what it might be like to be free. I mean, obviously he was still a slave, but Dr. Emerson would leave the fort for months at a time and have him work for other people. He had a degree of autonomy. And Harriet and Dred met here, right? Yeah, yeah. When he was here, he met a girl. 1836-7. Yeah, they met here. Richard Josie likes to stand here and imagine just how that might have went down. I can imagine, you know, Harriet, uh, you know, having been here and uh, and Dredd being over by the store and uh, and having a conversation with some one of the other black guys that was here. And uh, I can imagine him saying, did you see the new girl that's here? Here she comes walking by. Jim, who is that? I'm going to make her mine. Like, I can imagine him saying that. Over the next few years, Dredd and Harriet had two kids, both of them girls. And I personally, I think that, that what happened was children seemed to change everything. So what ends up happening is that Dr. Emerson moves Dredd Scott and his family back to Missouri. They're back in a slave state. And Dr. Emerson ends up passing away. And it seems like his wife is going to maybe sell Dred Scott's daughters. So what Dred and Harriet Scott end up deciding to do, the whole reason we know Dred Scott's name, is that they decide to sue for their own freedom. That's a lawsuit that Dred Scott had every right to believe that he would win. There was a doctrine called once free, always free. That the minute your foot landed in the snow of the North, the minute you and your owner walked into free territory, you were free. And you could not be returned to a state of bondage. This was a well-known legal argument. And in fact, Dred Scott won at a lower court. So it goes all the way up to the Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court says, no. You're still property. And the chief justice of the Supreme Court, Roger Taney. Very famously, he says, the black man has no rights that the white man is bound to respect. Taney, in an amazingly broad decision, not only slams the door on Dred Scott's freedom, he slams the door on the potential for any African-American, free or not free, to ever have full citizenship in this country. And at that point in time, at the highest court of the land to make that decision, that was putting a period on sort of this overarching 
battle between um, the North and the South, the forced slavery and the abolitionists. And so when this happens, now you start seeing civil war popping off. Now, as far as Dred Scott, the case is concerned, speaking legally, the 13th and 14th Amendments did come along and overturn it. But like that line, like, the black man has no rights that a white man is bound to respect. Like, you can't overturn that line. And these days, you know, as the pendulum swings and we see a rise in blatant, overt white nationalism. There's more than three dozen people injured. And violence over statues. This car plowed into a crowd of people. That line still hovers above us all. But suppose you're a direct descendant of that case, of that history. Suppose your name is Scott, or your last name is Tawny. What do you do with that? Particularly now, like, what do you do with that history? Do you ignore it? Is it not your problem? Or do you address it? And if you do, how? Coming up next, after the break, we walk into a hotel lobby in St. Louis and get an answer we just did not expect. More Perfect will continue in a moment. More Perfect is supported by NetSuite. Okay, quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. Obvious. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you're improving efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Back by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash moreperfect. netsuite.com slash moreperfect. I'm David Remnick, host of the New Yorker Radio Hour. There's nothing like finding a story you can really sink into that lets you tune out the noise and focus on what matters. In print or here on the podcast, The New Yorker brings you thoughtfulness and depth and even humor that you can't find anywhere else. So please join me every week for The New Yorker Radio Hour, wherever you listen to podcasts. This is More Perfect. I'm Chad Abumrad. Okay, now we come to the reunion. 
As she was reporting this story, producer Julia Longoria was doing a little Googling, located a couple of Scott Tawney descendants, and then found out that they were actually planning to meet up to have this kind of historic summit, which was like we thought was bananas. So she went, and it was bananas. And as soon as she came back, she sat down in the studio and told Ellie Mistal and I all about it. Um, so where to start? So I walked into this Hilton Frontenac Hotel in St. Louis. You know, your classic hotel atrium with like a very weird carpet pattern. <laughs> like, And I walk in and it's like, hello, hey, how are you? It's almost like a conference. Oh, you're Julia. <laughs> and I'm greeted by the great, great granddaughter of Dred Scott. Wow. And uh, yeah, it's just amazing. I mean, literally, this is our inaugural Sons and Daughters of Reconciliation event. Name's Lynn Jackson. She's the main organizer. This was always a dream that I had about 12 years ago, that if I could meet other descendants, wouldn't that be cool? Then she immediately tells me... I'm a networker. I'm a networker. I, I'm going to connect you with everyone here. <laughs> That's what I like doing. And this is the Blow family right here. And immediately, she introduces me to these three people. What's your name? Uh, Mimi LeBourgeois. John LeBourgeois. I'm Ashton LeBourgeois. Who are descendants of the Blow family, the first family who owned her great-great-grandpa. Wow. Here's some more fun guests. Hello, guys. Come on in. She also introduced me to the great-great-great... And you the great-great... Sixth-great-grandson of Thomas of Jefferson. Thomas Jefferson. Yeah. Grandson of Thomas Jefferson. I met... What's your name? I'm Bertram Hayes Davis, hyphenated. A descendant of Jefferson Davis. You know, the guy who led the Confederacy against the Union in the Civil War. And everybody's hugging, laughing. It was wild. Almost like it sounds like almost like a meaning of the utopian society. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. And the whole idea, everyone kind of wanted reconciliation. 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 That was like the word of the day. Reconciliation. 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 I think a lot of the country needs that now. You know. So I think a lot of people here. And so I'm wandering around and, and greeting these people, like going up, shaking hands with random people, and then I meet this one guy. Dred Scott Madison. Lynn introduced us. Yes, Dred Madison. I am the great-great-grandson of Dred and Harriet Scott. And I look in his eyes, and I was like, holy shit, those are Dred Scott's eyes. I mean, there's really only one picture of Dred Scott that exists, and it's from around 1857. He's wearing a suit, staring straight at the camera, and his eyes are, like, almost glassy, and his pupils are really big, and it's just striking. I felt like I was looking right into those same eyes. And have you always known that you're related to Dred Scott? Imagine, yes. yes. What, what's your relationship to that history? What do you, when you think about it, what do you, what do you feel? I have mixed feelings. Based on what Chief Justice Tawney said and the decision they made, uh, you're a subhuman species with no rights a white man is bound to respect. Blacks have no rights that white men are bound to respect. That still resonates today, in my opinion. What really hit me the hardest, and I, I, it, it's hard for me to even think about this because it, it just bothers me, was the Trayvon Martin. This kid was walking home from, from a store, 
wasn't bothering him, wasn't breaking any laws. Someone decided to follow him, pull up on him, and ended up murdering him. That guy parked his car, got out of his car, invaded this young man's space, and murdered him and used the stand your ground law. And that's a perfect example of my, your ground is yours until I decide it's not. I meet Dredd just as he is about to shake hands for the first time with the family who owned his family. A whole lot of stuff that goes through your mind. Are they going to be, are they going to be buttheads? Are they going to be arrogant? <laughs> that? that all goes through your head, but you, you know, you have to approach people. You have to approach people for who they are. You, you got to have an open mind. And one of the most striking things I learned from Dred Scott Jr. 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 and also from his sister Barbara. I'm Barbara McGregory. I'm Dred Scott's great great granddaughter. Is that the Dred Scott history was actually something that was kind of kept from them? It was a hush hush thing, because the Dred Scott decision. I don't know if you are understanding what that was. That that was the last straw that sparked the Civil War. My dad, when they were growing up, they had death threats. They couldn't tell anybody who they were related to. Your dad, that generation, this was like a hundred years after the decision, that generation had to keep it a secret? That's his great-grandfather. His grandmother was Dred Scott's daughter. Dred Jr. 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 told me that his dad was actually partially raised by Dred Scott's daughter. Aunt Lizzie. Whose name was Lizzie. Tried to hide the fact. In fact, someone told me she was, she might have been kind of mad when um, my, uh, grandfather and grandmother named my father Dred Scott because she was in hiding. You gotta remember when she was uh, six years old, they went in hiding for five years during the trial, her and her sister. Because the whole basis of the trial was he didn't want his family split up. So when he lost the second appeal, he sent the girls into hiding because he didn't want them sold away. So Lizzie stayed pretty much undercover. She lived in a, a little little room, but she always had the shades closed. So Dred and Barbara told me their parents never talked about Dred Scott. They never had a picture up in the house. They never even knew what he looked like. In fact, as we were standing there in the lobby of the Hilton, Dred pulls out his phone. Photos of Dred Scott. Okay, pictures of Dred Scott. And he brings up the photo on Google. Wait, <laughs> That's the actual photograph. That's the actual photograph. That's the actual photograph, which looks, let's see. It looks like this. That's it. Yeah. So can you describe it? Uh, really dark eyes. Um, he's wearing a suit. Like he was impressed, I think. Like you wouldn't expect a slave to be dressed so nice. Wait, is that the first time he's seen the picture of Dred Scott? No, it's not the first time. But it seemed like he was noticing things in it for the first time. Looks really dignified and stern in that picture, but he looks—he looks like a man who's gone through it and is ready to go through some more. He does. Okay, so at the end of the night, I end up at the hotel bar with another descendant. So it's. She's on the being interviewed. I'll let her answer that. No, I think you should answer that. So the Dred Scott case is a famous Supreme Court case, and the Chief Justice who ruled in the case was named Roger Bratani. So I'm a Tani. 
Charlie Tani is the great-great-grand-nephew of Roger Brooke Tani, who is the chief justice who basically denied Dred Scott his freedom. He's kind of a tall guy, white hair. I'll take, I'll take one more gin and tonic, okay. Glasses on tip of his nose. You know, we had a leather-bound original copy of that decision. And he was actually sitting next to three descendants from the family who originally owned Dred Scott. They were like, come join us. And so to my left is the descendant of <laughs> the people who own Dred Scott. And to my right are the people who kept Dred Scott enslaved. Are you not going to eat one of those? I'm not. Please have one. And they were all just like having gin and tonics and crab cakes. I was trying to remember that quote Faulkner, where he says, the past is never death. It's not even past. <laughs> That's great. Can you can you describe the first images you saw of Tawny? Eventually, I steered the conversation back to Charlie Tawny's ancestor, Roger Tawny, the Supreme Court Justice. Well, we had we had uh, we have pictures of him hanging on our ho- when I grew up in the house. It was up on the wall, and it had I remember it had this uh, light over it. Unlike the Dred Scott family, Charlie Tawny and his daughter Kate, Kate Tawny Billingsley grew up knowing exactly what Roger looks like. His skin flapped over, and he had these long jowls, but he was also a thin man. He was very sickly. That's something I really recall. He looks like... um, That spooked me. That shriveled-up little old man who lives up in the house on the hill that hardly ever comes out of his house and all the kids are scared of. (laughs) (laughs) You grew up, I mean, you know, when's the first time you study the Civil War? Probably like fifth grade, sixth Mm -hmm. grade? And you're like sliding down in your seat when they get to the Dred Scott decision because, you know, this is really terrible and that's my family. And oh my God, they did that. So, no, you're very aware of it. You know? And we're also, I mean, and we're also, you know, while, while you're, um, well, that's a black mark on our family. He also ran one of the most productive courts. And it was during a time of explosive growth in the country. So we're very proud of his role in helping form America. What he's known for is the single worst decision ever made by the Supreme Court. If, if you're a family member, it's, it's um, a, little, a little difficult to have that be the only focus. <laughs> it's incomplete. Sitting there, it was pretty clear that Charlie Tawney was kind of like Dred Scott Madison. He also had some mixed feelings. Yeah, well, having read, having read a number of his letters, I, you know, I think he was, I think, you know, he, I think he really loved his wife and his family, and I think he was a very loving father, and he was against slavery, it's pretty clear. He thought it was a blot on the national character. He thought slavery was wrong? Are we talking about Tani still? Think, yeah, he, you know, he felt it was wrong and should eventually be just done away with. He told me that in one of his legal arguments, Tani totally railed against slave drivers. He said something to the effect of, uh, these people are reptiles who deal in the trafficking of human flesh. Sitting there, Charlie tells me that Roger Tawney was trying to save the Union. That somehow, if he ruled that America was a slaveocracy once and for all, that might somehow delay the Civil War. And he was trying to solve the issue of slavery in America. That might be true, but what you can't overlook is, when you read that language, that he was a stone racist. I mean, just was. And, um, and I asked them, like, when you met the Scots, like, what did you feel? Like, what did you, did you feel like you wanted to communicate something to them? And the Blow descendant, you know, the family who originally owned Dred Scott, said, 
Yeah. Yeah, like, we're sorry. <laughs> and I was like, have you ever, I turned to Tani and said, like, have you ever actually apologized? And he was like, I don't know. I don't know if I ever use those words. I don't recall ever using those words. Thank you, Brenda. Next day. Well, welcome to the Dred Scott Reconciliation Forum. I know. Uh, you're day two at the forum, about a hundred people today. crammed into the grand ballroom of the Hilton, and a preacher. So to begin to begin the day in our proceedings, I'd like to ask if you'd stand with me and go to the Lord in prayer to bless these proceedings today. Led the group in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come to you this day, seeking your blessings in this room. And we ask, Lord, that this reconciliation would begin today in a profound way in each of our hearts as we learn from our past to move to our future. Bless us this day, and Lord, we give you praise. In Jesus' name we pray, and all of God's people say it. Amen. You may be seated. And then... At this time, we would like for all of the um, descendants, if you will, to please just stand. Give These descendants get up on stage. Thank you and good morning, everyone. One by one. I'm so happy to be here as part of the Reconciliation Conference. And they give like a little spiel about Hello. Thank you so much. Thank who you they so are, what reconciliation means to them. And a lot of people don't know that Thomas Jefferson's uh, wife, Martha, is a half-sister of Sally Hemings. Things you might not know about their ancestor. They had, they had the same father, John Wells. And then after about five people had spoken. Please welcome Charlie to the stage. Charlie Tani got up to talk. Good morning. So the first thing I'd, I'd like to do is uh, tell you all how uh, glad I am to be here, and a real honor and privilege to be here. So let me start with Roger Brooke Tawney and what it was like to grow up as a Tawney. To grow up as a Tawney, in terms of how we feel about him, it's a, real, it's a mixed bag. It's a very mixed thing. Because on the one hand, as a Tawney, you're proud of him. He was one of the longest serving chief justices the Bible he swore Lincoln in with is the same Bible that President Obama was sworn in on. However, that's not what he's known for. What he's known for is one thing. He's known for the Dred Scott decision. And just so we all want to get a handle on that, let me read you a sentence that he wrote. It was his opinion at the time of the Constitution that African-Americans, here's the quote, for more than a century have been regarded as beings of an inferior order. Unfit to associate with white, the right race. So far inferior. They had no rights, which the white man was bound to respect. So, you might be proud of him, but you can't duck that. You can't duck that. So, uh, I looked up reconciliation. I looked up this morning, the process of reconciliation. And there are three steps. The first step is apology. The second step is forgiveness. And the third step is a new trust that grows out of that. But some, someone asked Kate about this issue of apology. And what Kate said was, my daughter said, well, she said, you know, 
autonomy bringing an apology to a scot is like bringing a band-aid to an amputation. It just, it is not enough. But he was like, you got to start somewhere. <laughs> so let's, like, let's make a little history today. From the Tawnies to all the Scots, you have our apology. I spoke to Scott descendants afterwards. Uh, yes. How was that? What did you think of that? Um, so emotional, very much more emotional than I thought. That's great-great-granddaughter Barbara McGregory. No one's ever apologized. Clinton made an apology some years ago, but coming from him didn't mean much. But when Tawny got emotional when he was reading that letter, that was more heartfelt to me than anything else. The, the apology was okay, but, but his emotion really touched me. Barbara, the Dred Scott descendant, was like, when he choked up reading that, I could feel that. Like, that felt like healing. But... How are you doing? Hello. <laughs> then I pull aside her brother. Can I ask you what you're thinking about? How did you respond to all of that? Dred Scott Madison, the one with the eyes... Uh, everything was fine. It's just odd, uh, to be honest. The last part, <laughs> I puke my words carefully. Uh, I didn't like it. I don't think somebody should have to apologize for something they didn't do. That's uh, their ancestors. I, I just, I was very uncomfortable with that. I, that's the fact that they're here is apology enough. Apologizing for something your ancestor did. You're part of a gene pool. You didn't do anything. You're judged by your works, not someone else's. Show me that you care. Don't tell me that you're sorry. Tell me that uh, you're going to do better. So that's the only comment I have on it. Couple final notes. When we talked to Dred Scott Madison later, he was pretty clear that like, Charlie Tawney is already doing a lot of good. He's helping the Dred Scott Foundation to raise money. That's why he felt that Charlie didn't need to apologize. Also, when we started the story, there were statues of Roger Bucktani in Annapolis and in Baltimore, both in front of courthouses. This is actually how the Tawnies and Scots, one of the first ways that they'd come together, they had decided collectively on a plan to amend those two statues. Rather than take them down, they had decided to put a Dred Scott statue next to them. That had been the plan. They'd been working on it. They had met with politicians... They'd met with the mayor of Baltimore. But then, as we were finishing up the story... Good morning, Maryland. Begins now with breaking news. Charlottesville happened. And in the wake of Charlottesville... And we certainly do have some breaking news this morning. The Roger Brook Tawney statue is no longer standing outside the Maryland State House in Annapolis. It's the latest image of a pro-slavery icon to come down in the wake of violent racial clashes in Charlottesville, Virginia. Both statues were taken down. 
in the same week. It was really, it was really weird out here. I'm saying about 25 to 30 people out here. Here's what happened. They started to rope off the street and then at 1220 they started and they hoisted Tawny up. There was a golf clap when Tawny came off the pedestal here and was removed. But other than that, everybody was quiet. Nobody had an opinion on this. And if they did, they kept it to themselves. 145 year history gone here tonight. And I'll get out of the way. This is all that's left. This is the pedestal that is left. More Perfect is produced by me, Jad Abumrad, Susie Lechtenberg, Jenny Lawton, Julia Longoria, Kelly Prime, Sara Kari, Sean Ramosverum, and Alex Overington. Alex, go. With Ellie Mistal, Christian Farias, Linda Hirschman, David Gable, and Michelle Harris. Thanks to Kate Tawny Billingsley, whose play A Man of His Time helped inspire this episode. Supreme Court audio is from Oye a free law project in collaboration with the Legal Information Institute at Cornell. Leadership support for More Perfect is provided by the Choice Foundation. Additional funding is provided by the Charles Evans Hughes Memorial Foundation.